What's up, everybody? This is Vinny Bucci, a.k.a. The Booch, and welcome to the recap of NXT. And as you can tell from the intro song, this is not just any normal episode of NXT that you're listening to this week. This is the NXT that took place on the 4th of July. So first off, let me wish a happy 4th of July to all the listeners out there, particularly the ones listening that are Americans. Because I do know there are some percentage of our listeners in other countries, so obviously if you're living in another country and you're listening to this, this doesn't really apply to you. But primarily, our audience is here in America. So to all the Americans listening, happy 4th of July. I hope you guys had a lot of fun, had some hot dogs, saw some fireworks, and just took a moment to celebrate this great country and just for one day despite all the bullshit that's out there just be proud to be an American and know that you are living in a country that even on its worst day is still the best deal out there and I know there's going to be some libtard douchebags out there that are going to hear me say that and they're going to try to quote all that shit from Newsroom where Jeff Daniels did that rant about you know ranking America and the greatest country in the world and blah 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 But they always take that part, but they never take any of the good stuff that's in there. They just take that bad part and want to run with it because they want to shit on America yet continue to stay here, which is fucking weird to me. But the reason I say it's still the best deal out there is because this is still the country everybody else wants to come to. I'm just saying, if everybody is leaving their country to come to this country, clearly this is the greatest country. Because if it's not the greatest country, why is everybody coming here? Why not go somewhere else? my question. Just something to think about. Not trying to be controversial, even though I can be because I keep shit real, and when I keep it real, people get upset, and those people can go fuck themselves. But anyway, that's not why I'm here today. Now, another thing that I need to address here before I start officially with the NXT recap is, I'm actually riding solo on this recap this week. Uh, Zachary Scott, the broke soulless ginger, the NXT correspondent, is not joining me for the show. He called me um, a couple hours ago, and I say that at the time that I'm recording this, it was a couple hours ago, and told me that there was a plumbing issue at his job, Jim and Nick's, and because of that, he was not sure what time he was going to get out of the restaurant, and therefore was not going to be able to watch NXT in time to do a recap. Because Zach is normally off on Tuesdays. He usually takes Tuesdays off from work. But because today is the 4th of July, he had to go into work. It's a holiday. So he had to work the holiday because on the holidays, that's when a lot of people tend to go out to eat and do their thing and all that. So he had to go to work. 
Now, the good news is he's off on Thursday, and I got him coming over here to take care of some film stuff that we're going to talk about later, but that's the reason he's not here. And when Zach called me to tell me this, I got a little pissed off. Now, the reason I'm pissed off is not because of the fact that Zach had to work on the 4th of July, or even that there's a plumbing issue and that he wouldn't get out in time. I'm not mad about any of that. I was very understanding. What made me angry was Zach does this thing where he creates problems that aren't there. Because Zach has heard me over the last several weeks, as you listeners have heard me over the last several weeks, verbally shoot and go off on Gator for not showing up for the AEW recaps. Now, granted, he did show up last week, and as of now, he is planning to show up for the AEW recap that will be taking place. Uh, at the time you're listening to this, it'll be happening later tonight because of AEW Dynamite. So Gator should be joining me for that. If he's not, I'll be riding solo, and I'll have shit to say about that. But because Zach has heard me tear Gator apart for not showing up, Zach automatically assumes that I'm going to tear him apart for not showing up. So he automatically goes on the offense and starts, you know, going off on me and giving me attitude and bowing up to me. Before I've even said anything, he's automatically trying to defend himself from a possible verbal beatdown. But what he doesn't realize is, by giving me tone and attitude, he's already setting himself up for a verbal beatdown. And Zach should know this by now, because as Zach likes to mention a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, we've known each other a long time. Zach likes to bring up over and over again that we have been friends since 2009, and he thinks it's hilarious that we've been friends this long, and he constantly loves to bring this up. Zach's one of those people that loves to dwell on the past. He's that type of person. And what's weird is that for someone who claims to have known me for so long, he still hasn't figured out that I am the type of person that if you come at me, I will say something back. If you swing on me, I'm going to swing back. Verbally, physically, whatever. So if you come at me with attitude and tone, I am going to match whatever attitude and tone you throw at me. You come at me calm, I will respond calm. You come at me like a bad motherfucker, I'm going to show you who the bad motherfucker really is in the room. Because in order to out-asshole me, you have to give zero fucks. And everyone says they do, but most of them really don't. I am one of those people that truly gives zero fucks at this point in my life. I don't care who I offend. I don't care who I piss off. And if there's somebody who's my friend that doesn't want to be my friend anymore, there's the fucking door. I don't need you. That's where I'm at in my life right now. I only want people around me that I can trust, that I can count on, and actually want to help me succeed in what I want to do. If you ain't one of those people, there's the door. Now, that being said, I immediately, in my tone, explained to Zach that I'm not going to get upset at him for not being able to do the show because he's giving me valid reasons for why he can't do the show. Also, Zach doesn't have a history of not showing up week after week after week after week after week like Gator does. Zach's been very consistent. He has shown up. He's even been in studio a lot of the time to do the show, which has actually made the show so much better now that he's coming to the studio. So Zach's the type of person where if shit like this happens, all right, he's not here this week. I know he'll be back next week, so we won't have this issue. It's like the person who calls out from work. If you got a person who only calls out from work on rare occasions, but it shows up on time and does his job every single day, you don't get mad when that person calls out or asks for a day off because you know you can count on that person. But if somebody's calling out every single week, every single day, blah, 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 and it's consistent, after a certain point, you're going to stop being understanding and you're going to get rid of that employee because you know they're not dependable. Zach hasn't fallen in that category. The only time I've ever given Zach shit for not showing up for an NXT recap now granted he hasn't done this in a very long time but I'm bringing it up just to make a point was there were times where he was either too tired or he didn't or he just didn't feel like doing it that's when I would rip Zach apart that's when I would talk shit that's when I would call Zach every motherfucking name I could possibly think of because to me that is not a simple reason. Being too tired is not a good enough reason to not show up to record. Why? Because that's their only job. Zach Gator, every co-host on the show, they only have one job. Come on here and talk wrestling. Or, or if it's a variety show, talk about the topics we have. All they gotta do is speak. Once we're done recording, all the co-hosts fuck off to their originally scheduled lives, and then I have to stay here and edit this motherfucker. 
put it together, make it look nice, and then put it out on the internet for you guys to listen to. So I do the majority of the work on this show. All they have to do is talk. So I have no sympathy if they're too tired. But if they got an emergency or they're busy and they don't have a history of constantly calling out or constantly missing their appointment to come do the show, I don't get upset. Because they only have to record with me one day a week. Twice if there's a pay-per-view. That's it. Other than that, I'm the one doing the majority of the work on this podcast. So basically to sum all this up, I'm not angry that Zach can't do the show today. I was just angry in the way that he spoke to me. So I'm clarifying all of this. Zach had an issue. He can't show up, but he will be here next week. And with that said, we're going to jump in now to the NXT recap. And we're going to kick things off with our first official match of the evening. We've got Blair Davenport one-on-one against Roxanne Perez. Okay, this match was basically a fucking spot fest. That's all this was. In fact, the only good spot I saw in this match that's even worth talking about was when Blair Davenport set up Roxanne Perez on the top turnbuckle. She goes up top for a back superplex, but Roxanne counters it into a crossbody. That was a very good spot. But then all of a sudden, while Roxanne's in the corner, Blair jumps up on the on the bottom rope, goes on the top rope, jumps, does a forward roll, runs at Roxanne, miss, she misses, hits the ropes. Roxanne kicks her and then goes for a pop Pop Rocks in the corner. Then Blair pushes Roxanne off to basically block, you know, getting hit with the Pop Rocks. And then Blair turns around, just stares at her while Roxanne gets her footing and does a crossbody off the middle rope for a two count. This is one of the fakest things I've ever fucking seen. And I hate this. This is the thing that happens in modern wrestling all the time. And it's one of the reasons why I have a hard time enjoying modern wrestling is when they do moves like that, that look obviously fake. Because this is the thing that people keep forgetting about professional wrestling. And I will continue to repeat this until I am blue in the face because it bears repeating. I understand that wrestling is a work. I understand that at this stage in professional wrestling, we all know it's a work. I get that. I understand that. Okay, I am aware that wrestling is scripted. I'm not blind to that. I'm not ignorant to that because I'm not a child anymore. But in spite of all that, you're still supposed to present it as if it's real. You're supposed to make the fans believe that the fight you are seeing is a real fight. That is the skill of professional wrestling. That is the secret to being great. At professional wrestling. That's what makes you one of the best to ever step foot inside the ring. Is when you can make the people believe that a fight is taking place. Anybody that's considered a great wrestler should be able to do that. It does not matter how many acrobatic tricks that you do. That doesn't make you a great wrestler. It doesn't matter how many dives you do out of the ring. That does not make you a great wrestler. Being able to put someone through a table or moonsault off a ladder or set yourself on fire or do matches where you're bleeding like a stuffed pig. Those things do not make you a great wrestler. What makes you great is putting on a match that is believable. And that is what I look for. That's what I do to determine whether a match is great or if it's the drizzling shits. Can I believe in what I'm seeing? Most of the time, that answer is no. But every now and then, something shows up to make me say yes. And when that yes comes around, it makes me believe in professional wrestling again. But as far as believability goes, this match is a hard no. A hard no. Nothing in this match was believable. Why? Because Roxanne Perez is the drizzling shits. Because nothing she does in a ring is believable. She is one of those underdog baby faces. That's basically what she is. People have sympathy for her because she looks like the average person. But her skills are shit. 
But then again, most modern day wrestling fans like people whose wrestling skills are shit because if you're too good, they can't relate to you. Like, you know what I was saying before about that newsroom quote from Jeff Daniels, how everybody likes to talk about how, you know, uh, America is 45th in this. We're 38 over here. We're 153 over here. And the only three things we're number one in is number one, people in prisons per capita, number of adults who believe angels for real, and defense spending. Like, they love to quote that shit. But you want to know the one thing they never quote that is the absolute truth about Americans today is this. He talked about all the great things that America did, where they took down laws for moral reasons, actual, legit reasons, unlike some of the stupid shit we're seeing today. But he also said that we used to aspire to greatness. We didn't belittle it. It didn't make us feel inferior. That's the one line that no one ever quotes, but they should. Because that's the reality of Americans today. And I'm talking about the younger generation here. Instead of aspiring to be great, they belittle it because they can't get there. And that's a problem. If you're too good looking, people don't like you. If you win too much, people don't like you. And that's not even in wrestling. That's in other sports. The most hated baseball team on the planet is the New York Yankees. They got 27 World Series championships. You rack them up against any other team, they are the best. Why? Because they've got the most championships. And to be brutally honest, it's for goddamn ridiculous. Because if I'm watching a sport or I'm watching TV, if I'm watching somebody... I don't want somebody that looks like me. I want to see who the best is, and I want to be like them. That's why, you know, my generation was, uh, I want to be like Mike. When Michael Jordan was on top of the world, people wanted to be like him. Why? Because he was a fucking winner, he was a champion, and he was somebody you could look up to if you wanted to be a basketball player. I've never met a human being in my life that has said, I want to be like LeBron. Haven't seen it. Haven't seen it yet. But that's the point I'm trying to make. That's the type of sympathy Roxanne Perez gets. Hell, it's the type of th sympathy that Liv Morgan gets. The reality is, neither one of them are fucking good. But the fact that they're mediocre is why people get behind it. Because the more you struggle, the more the audience likes you, because they can only relate to people who are struggling. They can't relate to people who win. Because they themselves are not winners. And rather than try to become winners, they bitch about the winners because they're jealous and they hate them. It's why everybody, and I'll even go on an AEW tangent for a second here. It's why everybody's so angry at CM Punk. That's the reality. He's trying to bring everybody up to his level, but instead they want CM Punk to dumb himself down to their level so that the roster doesn't get exposed for being the shitty wrestlers that they truly are. You want to be great? You rise to greatness. You don't ask greatness to dumb themselves down, to make everybody else feel better. Because if you're not great, you don't deserve to be among the greats. And if you're not good at being a wrestler or a baseball player or, or whatever job you're in, if you're not good enough to do the job, you shouldn't have the fucking job. Simple as that. And to be honest, Roxanne Perez fucking sucks. She is terrible in the ring. Now, Blair Davenport, she's not, you know, infinitely better. But at least with Blair Davenport, you got something. She's got a killer instinct. She's got some good moves. She has good facial expression. She can sell. With Blair Davenport, you've got potential. With Roxanne Perez, you got nothing. The fact that she ended the streak of Mandy Rose is fucking embarrassing when there were so many women on the roster better than her. That's why I'm glad Blair Davenport went over. She should go over. Because Blair is somebody you can call to the main roster. Roxanne, you need to send back to the fucking indies because she should be working for a hot dog and a fucking handshake. That's where you send that bitch. And then after that, we cut to the backstage area with Ivy Nile. And she's being interviewed regarding um, the match with the Dyad versus the Creed Brothers where the losing team will be forced to leave NXT. Now, as she's being interviewed, she's talking about why the Creed Brothers agreed to this and how she's nervous about it. Uh, Tiffany Stratton shows up and brags about the fact that she should be interviewed because she successfully defended her title. Ivy brings up the fact that the whole world saw her tap out. She said, well, the ref didn't see me tap out. And Ivy said, if it was me in the ring, the whole world, including the ref, would see you tap out. She goes, don't you have somewhere else you need to be? And she goes, luckily for you, I do. Now, also in this interview, which was, and it was okay. Like, really, this interview wasn't great. But the only good thing that came out of this interview was that it clarified something for 
the audience and everyone watching at home. And that is, if the Creed brothers lose, only the Creed brothers are leaving. Ivy Nile will still be in NXT. And if the Dyad loses, then only the Dyad will leave NXT. Joe Gacy and Ava Rain will still remain part of NXT. It's just that the Dyad will leave or the Creed brothers will leave and that's it. So Ivy's career is not on the line and Joe Gacy and Ava Rain, their careers are not on the line. So those three are going to be safe from this whole ordeal. And like I said, that was the only good thing that came out of this interview. Other than that, it was regarded ambiguous. And then we cut to Baron Corbin. And he basically says that, you know, last week sucked. He couldn't get the job done and he was beating himself up over it. And he basically says that he's tired of being known as just a guy who's good. He should be known as someone who is great because he is great. And he's got the money. He's got the fame. He's got a family. You know, Baron's got all the great perks of being a WWE superstar, but he doesn't have the respect and now he wants to get the respect. He finally wants to be taken seriously. So he decides to get rid of all of his gimmicks. He said he thought he could tap into the lone wolf and that would be enough. But now he realizes, I got to get rid of the past completely. I'm getting rid of the lone wolf. I'm getting rid of happy Corbin. I'm getting rid of the homeless Corbin. You know, bum-ass Corbin. They're getting rid of that. And basically, he's going to start clean with no more gimmicks, no more nonsense, no more bullshit. I'm going to tell you something right now. I've been following Baron Corbin since he first showed up in NXT. I can honestly say this is the best promo he has ever cut. Baron Corbin finally managed to do something that he has not been able to do in his entire career since getting called up to the main roster. He got people to fucking care about what he does next. Because he said, I want people to say what's next for Baron Corbin, not who is he going to be next. This is great. So now, Baron Corbin is obviously going to stay in NXT. And to be brutally honest, he should. Because I feel like if he goes back to the main roster, he's going to get lost in the sauce. He needs to stay in NXT, grow whatever gimmick he's going to grow here, even get a run with the NXT title, and then, when the time is right, bring him back to the main roster. And then you can take this new and improved Baron Corbin and you can work with him. In fact, I'll say this. If Jey Uso hadn't pinned Roman Reigns at Money in the Bank, I would build up this new Baron Corbin and maybe have him be credible enough to dethrone the Tribal Chief and have him pin Roman Reigns and win. Now, I know that sounds weird because I've been waving the flag for Cody Rhodes... And believe me, I'm still waving the flag for Cody Rhodes. I know that Jey Uso pinned Roman at Money in the Bank, but I still want Cody to be the one to take the title because I don't think Jey Uso needs to be the champion. The fact that he weakened the Tribal Chief and got rid of the aura and mystique and intimidation of the Tribal Chief, that's all Jey needs to do. He doesn't need the championship, and to be honest, Jey Uso is not a world champion. Because even after he wins the title, where the fuck's he going to go from there? The answer, there's nowhere for him to go after that. The title reign will get stale, and it will get stale fast. I'm sorry, but it will. But basically what I'm trying to say is, I like the new direction that Baron Corbin is going. I know I went on a little bit of a Money in the Bank tangent, I apologize. But I just found out we're going to have to wait another week for the male soap opera moment to talk about Money in the Bank. So I wanted to just get that off my chest. But point is, I love what they're doing with Baron Corbin. I want to see what he does next week. And I hope this is the beginning of making Baron Corbin be somebody that you can take seriously as a star and a main event player because lord knows we need more stars in wrestling we've got enough wrestlers we have enough people that are doing the bare minimum we need people that are willing to rise up and be stars and draw fucking money because we don't have a lot of that the number of stars in wwe is very very small we need more. And I think this is an opportunity for Baron to become more. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to move on to the next match of the evening. We've got Mustafa Ali one-on-one -on -one against Tyler Bate. This was a very good match. I enjoyed this immensely. Why? Because these two fucking wrestled and they worked they were trading submissions they were grappling this is wrestling done right not only that the high spots were done right that's what made this even better 
Like, at one point in the match, you see uh, Mustafa Ali run out, and then Tyler Bate back body drops him over the top rope onto the floor, and he kind of does a front flip to the floor. Susie hits the floor, Tyler Bate immediately bounces off the ropes, and by the time he dives out, Ali has already turned and is ready to take the shot. He's not standing there like a dumbass waiting to get hit. Like Mustafa Ali kicks Tyler Bate in the face. He's all woozy. He bounces up. Right as he goes for the dive, Tyler Bate looks up just in time to get hit. But in time to make it look believable. Again, he's not standing there like a fucking deer in the headlights waiting to catch him. Which is another fucking stupid ass pet peeve that happens in this fucking business today. So again, everything was done right. Everything was done perfectly. Even at one point there was this airplane spin. And as he goes to slam him, all of a sudden Mustafa Ali counters and hit the tornado DDT and gets a two count pinfall attempt and it was great that was beautiful literally everything these guys did was a work of art no movement was wasted nothing looked stupid even at one point they were on the the ropes and you know they were doing that thing where they're like headbutting each other back and forth and at one point he's fucking teetering and you can see ali holding his hand and i'm sitting here going you gotta be fucking kidding me but then he shoves him and crotches him onto the ropes i love that spot because again that's what you should do if your opponent's gonna fall why would you help him? That's the dilemma here. Because everyone's talking about, well, you should protect your opponent. Yes, you need to protect your opponent, but you need to do it in a way that's believable. So if you can't do that in a believable way, you shouldn't fucking do it. Because if a move looks fake, it takes you out of the match because then you realize, oh, these guys don't really hate each other. So this is all fake. So everything you've been emotionally getting me invested in up until this point is fake too. That ruins the whole damn thing. So I like that. He pushes him, he crotches him, and then he goes for the 450 splash, gets the one, two, three. And I love uh, Vic Joseph at the end where he goes, 450 for the victory. Just sounded good, like that line. And Mustafa Ali celebrates, and then as he's walking to the back, he looks in the camera and challenges Wesley to a North American Championship match at the Great American Bash. Now, this match has not been made official yet, but I'm 100% certain they're going to make that match. And I hope they do. I hope this is a one-on-one -on -one match and, and they don't make this some stupid bullshit triple threat match. I'm done seeing triple threat matches. Let Wesley fight somebody one-on-one -on -one for a change. And I'm also hoping this leads to Mustafa Ali becoming the North American champion. Because he needs that belt more than Wesley does. Because Ali is getting away from the main roster. Because he's not being taken seriously up there. And you guys already know how I feel about Wesley. And how fed up with his bullshit I am. So I'm just waiting for this motherfucker to finally lose this title. Then we cut to the backstage area where we see Joe Gacy and Ava Rain. And they're talking about how tonight they will eliminate a problem from NXT forever. The right team is going to win. And what I like about this is the fact that Joe Gacy is being very cryptic with his answer because obviously there's been some dissension within the schism. Dyad has had some issues with Joe Gacy and Ava Rain's been keeping the peace for the most part. So you're basically sitting here going, okay, are they hoping the Creed brothers will go away and the schism can be four roots, one tree? Or is Joe Gacy going to have to kick out the Dyad because their roots are no longer strong enough to support the tree. And are they going to get to the roots of their problem? And this taps into the brilliance of Joe Gacy and his promos. The fact that he always keeps the audience guessing. You can never understand what's going on inside his head. Like even as an analyst, I can make guesses. I can look at things left and right, up and down, diagonal, all that. But with Joe Gacy, it's hard to get a read on exactly what he's going to do. And on that note, we're going to move on to the next match of the evening. We got Tatum Paxley going one-on-one -on -one against Kalani Jordan with Dana Brooke. This was a basic match. Obviously, this is Kalani Jordan's debut, if I'm not mistaken. And I can say this. I don't hate Kalani Jordan. Let me make that clear. I do not hate her. But I can clearly tell she is greener than baby shit. She's green. Very green. 
The pacing of this match was not very good. Kalani did have two great moments in this match. She had an, she did an amazing arm drag where she bounced off the ropes and did an arm drag. It was great. It was fluid. It was believable. It was well done. The other spot that she did that I enjoyed was when she counted the suplex into a stunner for the win. That was another good move, good spot by Kalani. Now, Tatum Paxley did have a few good moments, and you could tell she was trying to dictate the pace a little bit, but there was a moment when they were in the corner where she eyes her in the corner, and you could tell she was waiting for Kalani to, to try to pick her up and do that flip and then counter into the kick to the gut and the suplex to get to the finish. And she's kind of sitting there with her arms out waiting for Kalani, who again, her pacing was off and moved too slow. And again, this is the thing I preach, it makes the match look fake because again, why would you wait to catch somebody? The whole point of the match is that you go into the corner, you need to already be coming out of the corner so she can grab you and then flip. Make everything look fluid and all move in one motion. That's what makes the spots believable. The fact that it happened so quick that you could believe it could happen in that fluid motion. So the, now again, I don't hate Kalani Jordan. Let me repeat that again. I'm just saying she's very green. She needs more work. And this was not a good match for her because you can clearly tell she does not have her pacing down. But that's the only thing Kalani needs to work on. So when she gets back into the performance center and she gets back into training, she needs to work on her pacing more. And again, don't do shit you don't know how to do. Or don't do something that's going to look flashy, if it, but it requires too much cooperation to where it's blatantly obvious that you are cooperating. Again, we all know wrestling is a work, but your job as a worker is to not make it look blatantly obvious. And a lot of people made it blatantly obvious on this show tonight. And then, of course, Cora Jade comes out and starts talking shit. Basically saying, a friend of Dana Brooke is an enemy of mine. I don't need these people. And then Jordan says, why don't we settle this in the ring right now? I got another match in me. But Jade says, don't tell me what to do. Drops the mic and walks away. Well, let me just say, I am a fan of Dana Brooke. And I hope this is a chance for her to get some redemption and revitalize her character. So I'm definitely an enemy of Cora Jade because I have not been a fan of Cora Jade for as long as she's been here. Cora Jade is another one of those female wrestlers that is trash. Now, when I say that, I say that because there are some great women's wrestlers. And I do believe that women's wrestling has a place in professional wrestling. I'm even all for having a women's champion. But while there are some women wrestlers who are incredibly talented, there are a lot of women's wrestlers who are the drizzling shits. And Cora Jade is definitely one of them. And I say that about Cora Jade because Cora's been here long enough to where she should have her shit together by now and she clearly doesn't. Kalani is new, so I'm going to give her time to develop and time to get her shit together before I decide whether or not she's a great women's wrestler or if she needs to get the fuck out of the business. But Cora sucks. She's got awful. And obviously they're going to build this into a feud and I would say drag this out to the Great American Bash. Get Kalani Jordan some training, get her ready, and then put her in the ring with Cora Jade. Now if you can't get her ready in time, then try to build something with Cora and Dana to the Great American Bash. But that's what I would do. If you can have Kalani do it, have her do it. But that means she's got to work, 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 get her pacing down. Because really that's where her biggest problem is. She needs to work on her pacing. If she gets that... She can go places. And then we cut to Chase You. And we get the returning Mr. Andre Chase, as we all know, returned last week. And he talks about how uh, Duke Hudson has stepped up to be the leader of Chase U in his absence and proving he is the MVP. He then recognizes Thea Hale as a uncrowned champion because we all saw Tiffany Stratton tap out and how if it wasn't for the referee being distracted by Charlie Dempsey and Gaba Gulak, Thea Hale would be the women's champion right now. And then of course someone says, uh, are they not going to come back to do guest lectures before Andre can cuss him out? 
Duke says, I got this, and he starts yelling and screaming and cussing him out, just like they do at Chase U. It's fucking hilarious. And basically, they establish that next week on NXT, it'll be Andre Chase and Duke Hudson against Gabba Gulak and Charlie Dempsey. I'm definitely looking forward to that tag team match. I'm a little surprised that it's happening next week, and they're not dragging this out until the Great American Bash. So that tells me one of two things. And based on what I've seen here of little things, I got a theory. Either some fuckery is going to happen in this tag match and they'll have a rematch at the Great American Bash. Uh, it could also lead to maybe one-on-one -on -one matches. Maybe Andre versus Gabba Gulak. Maybe Duke Hudson versus Charlie Dempsey. Something like that. Or there could be a scenario where Duke Hudson finally does that heel turn on Andre Chase that everyone thinks is going to happen. And then it leads to Andre versus Duke at the Great American Bash. Because there was a moment in time where I thought there might end up being a civil war within Chase U. Because maybe some people prefer Duke Hudson's teachings over Andre's. Some people prefer Andre over Duke. And then it divides the class. And then finally there's a match where the winner is the guy that runs Chase U or whatever. So I got a feeling this could lead to a breakup between Duke and Andre. I don't want that to happen. Because I feel like Duke Hudson and the whole Chase U is fantastic. It's definitely over. It's definitely entertaining. These guys know what they're doing, and I want to see more of it. And on that note, we're going to move on to the next match of the evening. We got the NXT Underground Match. Damon Kemp goes one-on-one -on -one against Eddie Thorpe with Gable Stevenson. This, ladies and gentlemen, if you remember the Raw Underground, this was basically it. The only difference is it took place inside the NXT building. They have wrestlers surrounding the ring, and it doesn't have any ropes. So all the ropes are taken down, but... The ring posts are still there. Now, my first thought when I saw this was, how in the fuck are they going to get the ropes back up in time to keep this show going? Because as someone who's been to a lot of indie shows and seen a lot of rings get set up, I am very, very aware of how hard it is to get the ropes and the turnbuckles and everything locked in, tightened up, and get it ready for showtime. But this shit happens in the middle of the fucking day when they got to set rings up. They do this shit way early in the day. And depending on the company, sometimes there's a ring crew that puts that shit together. And other times you got wrestlers putting it together. And it's usually the undercard wrestlers or the young guys coming up. Because that's how they would pay their dues. A lot of the indie guys would put the ring together. Now, obviously the big names, the stars, they're not doing that shit. Once they reach a certain point, they don't do that shit anymore. They're getting ready for the show. But in the early years, Years of your career that's usually how wrestlers would set the ring up um, I've only done it like once or twice as far as helping out setting up a ring or loading up a ring or whatever and that's only because my job mostly was to do a fuck ton of other shit before the show I'm doing other I was doing all the other insane shit that I would do like getting food for the concession stand or filing copies or getting all this shit done before I do my actual job which was fucking announcing but yeah so I was concerned how that was gonna happen but then I discovered that this episode of NXT was taped in advance, which makes sense. So if it's taped in advance, they have time to set the ropes back up before they do the rest of the matches. Or they could have done the whole thing out of order and just edited it this way. This probably could have been the main event for the taped show, but then they decided to air it in the middle of the show. Because once you have everything taped, you can move the shit around wherever you need it to go. You can set it up however you want, structure the matches however you want, once you have it done. That could have been it. This could have been the last match that they taped, but they put it in the middle because they had something else planned for the main event. That's what I think. That That's my theory anyway. But the fact that this was taped made this a lot easier because obviously they wanted everybody to spend 4th of July with their families, so they taped it in advance and they didn't have to be here on the 4th of July. That being said, best way to describe this match, they has fights. That's exactly what this was. Damon Kemp and Eddie Thorpe trading suplexes, beating each other down, submission holds. I'd say the one big moment here was when Damon Kemp did the overhead suplex and Eddie Thorpe hit the floor. That was brutal as hell. That really was. But also what was great about this match was this match had something that the other matches did not have. A little thing I like to call psychology. 
because in this match, Eddie Thorpe did his fair share of working Damon Kemp's arm, preferably the left arm, whether it was through wrenching it, um, you know, triangle chokes, whatever. While they were out on the floor at one point, Damon Kemp went left shoulder first into the ring post. Once that happened, that arm was dead and it gave Eddie Thorpe the advantage that he needed. But Damon Kemp continued to sell that arm throughout the match. Now, Gable Stevenson, I was glad to see him. But I will say, him holding up the gold medal that he won in the Olympics while trying to motivate Eddie. Like Booker T said, what was the point of that? I agree. I don't know what the point of that was. That wasn't much of a coaching mechanism. Because why does Eddie Thorpe give a shit about Gable's gold medal? Eddie Thorpe is not a gold medal wrestler. He's not even an Olympic wrestler. Showing him a gold medal is not going to do shit. Because he's not fighting for a gold medal. He's fighting to prove that he can whoop Damon Kemp's ass in whatever match Damon Kemp wants. Because this is the match that Damon wanted. And in the end, he locks in that triangle and then starts throwing a fury of strikes to him. Just starts elbowing, 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 elbowing until finally, finally, Damon Kemp is knocked out. The ref calls for the bell and Eddie Thorpe is the winner. The referee finally stops the match. And like I said, this was great. It was brutal. It was a fight. Both these guys proved they're on top of their game. But what was really weird about this was after Stevenson raised his hand, all of a sudden there were wrestlers in the ring either patting him on the back or trying to step to him. And then Gable would get pissed off because the guy touched his gold medal. He's like, dude, let's not do that. Stop fiddling with it. I ain't fucking with you. And then the guy all of a sudden got pissed off. He hands his gold medal to Eddie Thorpe. The guy goes to punch him and he drops his ass with a German suplex. Which was great. Then he hits an overhead suplex on another guy that gets in the ring. So now Gable Stevens is finally getting a chance to show off some moves in the ring because we ain't seen him in God knows how long. Some people even forgot he was still in the fucking company. Now he's finally doing something. Then all of a sudden he turns around and there's this big motherfucker with goofy ass hair in front of him and he stares him down. They have this awkward stare down and then all of a sudden they hug and he flips him over. But here's the thing I don't like about this. It didn't look like a hug between two brothers. It looked like a hug where he was allowing him to suplex him. Basically, that suplex looked fake as fuck just from the fact that it didn't look like there was a fight or a struggle. Because why would you want Gable to suplex you? Again, believability is key here. I don't care how much of a fan I am of a wrestler. I don't want the wrestler to put his hands on me. Even if it's scripted that he puts his hands on me. I would want it done in a way to where it doesn't look like I'm allowing him to fucking do this. So, aside from that one last suplex, the rest of them looked fucking great. And Stevenson got a chance to showcase how good he is, how strong he is, how tough he is. Prove that he is indeed one of the best in the world as far as amateur wrestling goes. And I look forward to the day when Gable Stevenson will finally debut inside a WWE ring. I know he's got some Olympic stuff that he's going for. I wish him the best of luck with that, but I really want to see him in the ring. And on that note, we cut to the backstage area and we see Carmelo Hayes, the NXT champion with Trick Williams. And they basically talk about how Rhea Ripley came here last week to basically threaten them not to get involved in the Judgment Day business, you know, because we all know uh, him and Finn Balor had a match on Monday Night Raw. Uh, I believe it was the go-home before Money in the Bank. And Carmelo basically said that they don't respond well to threats, and he knows that Damian Priest has the briefcase, so anything can happen. So they challenge all of the Judgment Day to come down and follow through on the threat. So basically, Finn Balor, Damian Priest, Dominic, Rhea can all come down and take on Trick Mellow Gang. Now, I kind of like this. I'm intrigued to see where it goes because I don't see Finn Balor getting another world title shot anytime soon. And I don't see the Judgment Day lasting very long on the main roster. So it'll be fun to see them on NXT. Plus, it'll drive some ratings. But the thing I found most intriguing is that now they're implying that Damian Priest can cash in the Money in the Bank contract for the NXT Championship. Which, of course, begs the question, why the fuck would he want to do that? Why are we implying that the money in the bank can be applied anywhere? That is a stupid fucking concept, and I'm going to tell you why. If the money in the bank contract gives you the option to fight for whatever title you want, why, as a wrestler, would you settle 
for anything less than the world title or the WWE Universal title, which I'm not going to call undisputed because you can't call yourself an undisputed champion there's another world champion in the company. But why would you settle for anything less? You should want to be the world heavyweight champion. That's a thing they always talk about. Now, not everybody can become the world heavyweight champion in wrestling. It's not realistic. There are some wrestlers who have gone their whole careers without ever holding the world title, without ever being the WWE champion. But you should still want to be the champion. If you are given an opportunity to challenge for the world title, you should go for it. If that briefcase can give you a shot at any title you want, you should go for the world title. You should not aspire to be a mid-card champion. In fact, there are only two instances where if the Money in the Bank contract could be cashed in on a mid-card title, there are only two wrestlers I would ever want to see cash it in on a mid-card title. And that's Sheamus and John Cena. Why? Because both of these men have one thing in common, and that is neither one of them has ever been the Intercontinental Champion. They have held every other title there is in the WWE, but they've never been the Intercontinental Champion. So if they were to win the Intercontinental Championship, they would become Grand Slam Champions which is more valuable than being just a world champion to know you've held every title in the company. So if Sheamus was Mr. Money in the Bank and cashed it in to win the Intercontinental title, I wouldn't be too upset about that. If John Cena did that, I couldn't be too upset about that. Although personally, I think he should cash in on a world title because I want to see him break Ric Flair's record. So I might be semi-pissed about that. But if you went for the Intercontinental title, I can't be too mad because again, that gives you a Grand Slam title. But other than that, the rest of these fuckers should be going for the world title. You should be looking to cash in on Roman Reigns. Now, some of you might want to cash in on Seth Rollins because you're brainwashed into believing that world title is fucking valuable when in reality, it's a paper title. And to quote the NXT champion, that's all it is and that's all it's ever going to be. So if you're not looking to become the number one world champion in whatever brand you're in, you are taking up space on the roster. Get the fuck out of Dodge. Cashing the money in the bank in on a mid-card title or cashing it in on any of the NXT titles is a fucking waste. You've wasted a cash-in. It's fucking stupid. And that's no disrespect to Carmelo Hayes. I love Carmelo Hayes. I'm a fan. But that title is not a title you should go for if you have the option to fight for the top prize on the main roster. Because that's the title with the highest value. And that's the belt that is held by Roman Reigns. Now, the NXT guys fight for the NXT title because they're in NXT and that's as high as they can go. So that is their richest prize. The people on Monday Night Raw, they're going to go for that world title that's held by Seth Rollins because right now, that's the best they can do. But if you got the money in the brain briefcase, you have the option to go for Roman Reigns. Fucking take it. Whoever wins the Royal Rumble in January has the option to go after Roman Reigns, assuming he's still champion by the time we get to the Royal Rumble. Why would you not want to fucking pick him? So I'm not worried about Damian Priest cashing in on the NXT title because I don't think Damian Priest is that stupid. Then again, him being the Money in the Bank winner, period, is a stupid fucking decision. So I don't know. Maybe, um, maybe I just have too much common sense to be analyzing wrestling. I'm starting to think that's the case. I really do. And on that note, we're going to move on here to the next match of the evening. We got JC Jane one-on-one against Lyra Valkyra. This was a very well-done match. These women brought the fight. It was great back and forth action. Uh, Valkyra definitely showing that she gets better and better with every match. JC Jane showing that she improves more and more every week, especially as a heel with the anger and the facial expressions and the frustration that she gets when things don't go her way. Valkyra with the kicks, the strikes, the combos, fluid motion, everything believable. Valkyria is definitely somebody that is going to be a staple in the NXT women's division, provided they keep her there long enough to be a staple and don't call her up too early. Because that is a thing with NXT lately. They're calling up a lot of the 
stars a little too early, and NXT is suffering because of it. Now, at one point, uh, she does a leg drop. She jumps over the, the ropes in the leg drop, believable, and she goes for the cover, but she was kind of touching the ropes, and the people were kind of touching the ropes, and the ref didn't count until she kind of pulled it back a little bit. She pulled the legs back. Then he started counting, and she kicked out. Then, of course, she was able to do a dive through the ropes and a kick, which was great. Another believable spot there. She then climbs up top, goes for a drop kick, but JC moves out of the way. She avoids the missile drop kick, hits a senton, gets a two count. Again, the rage, the buildup, everything, the frustration. She's going for some kind of spin kick move, but then boom, an insiguri, and then a spin kick to the back of the head. One, two, three. Lyra gets the victory, but then Jane attacks her from behind and then rips up Valkyra's wings as she's writhing in pain. Great heel spot, great way to get heat, and also a great way to continue to drag this feud out if they want to. And then, of course, she whips her with the wings after she rips them out, basically giving us more reason to see a feud go. Now, the only problem is Valkyra got a decisive win here. So if they're going to have another match or if they're going to drag this out to the Great American Bash, the match needs to be a gimmick match. Now, what gimmick match would they use? I can't really say at this current point in time what I would want it to be. But I will say it's got to be some type of major gimmick match in order to settle the feud once and for all. And please settle it at the Great American Bash. Don't make this one of the things where they have the match at the Great American Bash and then the next night is the fucking rubber match or next week or something happens where the rubber match is on free TV. The rubber match should always be on pay-per-view. Always. Make them pay to see the final fight. And on that note, we cut to the prison where we see Tony D, the Don of NXT, is visited by Channing, the underboss, Stax. And Joe Coffey comes in with him. And basically, Stax has made a deal with Joe Coffey. They came to an arrangement. Next week on NXT, it's going to be Stax versus Joe Coffey. If Stax wins... The charges against Tony D are dropped, and the Don goes free. However, if Joe Coffey wins, the Don stays locked up and has to face trial. And then, if he's found not guilty, then he goes free. But if he's found guilty, which they said, conviction's almost a guarantee, Tony D's basically going to be locked away for a long time. And the Don's pissed off at Stax for agreeing to this, but it turns out the whole thing was his idea. And he said, you think you can beat him in a three-on-one situation? And Stax starts getting offended because he thinks the Don is doubting him, even though he said, since you've been locked up, business is good, envelopes are full, the underboss is making moves. And of course, Tony also confronted him regarding the tape that Joe played for him last week, saying that there's a new Don in town, but the underboss is claiming he never betrayed him. So now, there's two scenarios going on here. Either A, Stax is collaborating with, the, with Gallus to get rid of Don so he can run things, or Joe Coffey maybe had a deep voice or got somebody to impersonate Stax and put him on tape saying he betrayed the Don to cause a wedge between them. So we don't know who is good or bad here. All we know is next week, we'll know for sure if the Don goes free. But not only that, they also get a shot at the tag team titles. Now, I'm really confused here. And the fact that I'm confused is what makes this story great. This is an awesome fucking storyline. It really is. It's probably one of the best storylines. Hell, it's the best storyline that NXT has had in a very long time. And I'm looking forward to seeing how this ends next week. I want to believe that Stax and the Don are still going to be a team. But in the event that Stax is turning on him, here's the question though. How would the Don get out of jail? Because you can't tell me the Don goes away and then we never see him again. Unless Tony D's contract is expiring and they're planning on releasing him and that's the way they write him off TV. They just send him to fucking jail. So I have to believe that Stax is winning next week so the charges are dropped and he gets out of jail. And on a personal note, I want him to come back because Tony D's one of the most interesting characters and great wrestlers in NXT. And the show's been kind of dull without him on it. I miss the Don. What can I say? And then we cut to the backstage here with Keanu James who walks into her office and there is a wet paint sign on the door. James is confused. She opened the door and Gigi Dolan has spray painted all over her office. 
So now they're dragging this storyline out where we're going to see Kiana and Gigi feuding. And I like this because something tells me they're going to drive this out again to the Great American Bash. And this is something you're going to hear me say a lot because whenever there's a pay-per-view right around the corner, I want to see shit build to the pay-per-view. I don't want the good matches to be on free fucking TV when there's a pay-per-view right around the corner because July 30th is the Great American Bash. So all the TVs that need to be happening from now to the go home before the bash, all of them, literally fucking all of them should be building to the Great American Bash and nothing else. All of them. July 4th, July 11th, July 18th, July 25th. All of them should be building to the Great American Bash on Sunday, July the 30th. Then we cut to Von Wagner beating the crap out of Javier Bernal, big body hobby. Mr. Stone begs Wagner not to put him through the commentary desk, but Wagner does it anyway. Clearly, Von Wagner is losing his damn mind. Uh, Mr. Stone is doing his best to keep him calm because they're friends, but obviously this is causing a wedge between them because I don't know how much longer Mr. Stone can put up with Von Wagner having a breakdown before he finally says, I'm done with you because this is going nowhere. And I don't want to break these two up because they seem like they have a great working relationship and it's obvious that Robbie E's never going to get in the ring and wrestle again. They're going to give him this Mr. Stone gimmick forever and ever and ever until the end of time or until he gets released and maybe then he'll go back on the indies and actually fucking wrestle. But either way, I want to see Von Wagner tell his whole story, get his shit together and get on a fucking winning streak and maybe become NXT champion because he's got all the tools and he has a manager so the promos don't really have to matter right now unless they plan on breaking these two apart in which case get him in some fucking promo classes so we can get von wagner on track and on that note we're gonna move on to the next match of the evening the loser leaves nxt match the creed brothers with ivy nile versus the dyad with ava rain and joe gacy this was a stellar tag team match this was, as I said before, a loser leaves NXT match because this was a loser leaves NXT match. Both these teams actually fought like their lives depended on it. I love it when uh, Julius got in and was hitting suplexes on the diet. He hit a, you know, overhead suplex and then kicked up, hit another one, kicked up. It was a great spot there. The diet, of course, doing great double team moves. Julius Creed showing his athletic ability. Butch Creed doing the same thing. I mean, these are two of the best tag teams in NXT. And it's a fucking shame that one of them has to leave. But like I said, everything in this match was perfect. There were no botches. There was nothing stupid. No silly shit. Just great old school tag team fucking wrestling. And that's why I love these teams so much. Because when the bell rings, they're phenomenal. Even the, the suicide dive out of the ring while Butch was in the electric chair position. I mean, the diet was doing very well. They kicked ass, and of course, in the end, they hit the double code breaker on Julius for the win, because while the ref was distracted, someone in a schism mask headbutts Julius, and then of course, no one knows who the masked man was. Uh, all I can say is this, I hope that it's not Joe Gacy, because that would be stupid and anticlimactic. I'm hoping maybe it's a new member or something. But either way, the match looked great. The only thing I probably didn't like was the moonsault onto the dyad because, again, that looked like they were just standing there waiting for it. But Ava Rain got in at one point to distract Ivy Nile, fucking whooping ass. So I got a feeling at the Great American Bash, it's going to be Ivy Nile versus Ava Rain. That, that's the theory that I have. But I'm just hoping the masked man wasn't Joe Gacy because Joe Gacy was supposed to be ringside, but then he got ejected during the match. So I'm hoping he didn't come back in the fucking mask because that would just be anticlimactic. I want it to be a shocker. Maybe somebody we don't know is joining the show. That's what I prefer. But in the end, the Dyad got the win. They were like arrogantly taunting the Creed Brothers. Ivy Niles in a state of shock. During the commercial break, the Creed Brothers waved to the crowd as they were saying, thank you, Creeds. Now, apparently from the looks of this, I want to say the Creed Brothers are probably going to get called up to the main roster at some point. I see them going to Raw or SmackDown. And there's a reason for why I believe that, but before we can do that, we have to cut to the next segment, which is we see Finn Balor. He laughs off the fact that, uh, Carmelo wasn't sweating him when he was sweating all over his ring when he dragged him from pillar to post on Monday Night Raw. But he said, you know, you step in the ring with me, you get that thin rub. 
but there's no happy endings. I kind of like that line, you know, playing off the massage, happy ending, wordplay. But he decides to accept Carmelo's challenge, and next week on NXT, the entire Judgment Day is going to be there. Finn Balor, Damian Priest, Rhea Ripley, and Dominic Mysterio will all show up next week on NXT. And here's the thing. All this proves to me is that I am still right. No matter how many people, Desmond, keep telling me that I'm wrong, I know I'm right. The draft doesn't mean shit. It doesn't mean a fucking thing. The draft is a waste of time. Because what is the point in having a draft where people stay on their brands, but yet they're still going to each show? Now, the free agents, I understand why they're doing it. But last I checked, the Judgment Day was not free agents. They're all on Raw. So what the fuck are they doing on NXT? Why was Carmelo Hayes even on Monday Night Raw to begin with was beyond my comprehension. But now they're going to bring the entire Judgment Day. Again, this proves the draft is fucking meaningless. The fact there's two world champions on the main roster is fucking retarded. And the Creed Brothers are basically going to Raw or SmackDown. Because I don't see the Creed Brothers getting released. Because we need all the good tag teams we can get. And the Creed Brothers are a phenomenal tag team, as I've said before. Clearly the dyad is not done being the dyad. And they're doing the four roots, one tree still. So all I can say is I'm going to miss the Creed Brothers. But I'm intrigued to see where this goes. Is Finn Balor going to fight for the NXT title at the Great American Bash? And if he is, is he going to win the title? Or is Damian Priest going to use his money in the bank to win the NXT title? And that causes a rip between him and Finn Balor. Th that's what I'm trying to find out. Because what other reason would the Judgment Day show up to go after Carmelo Hayes and Trick Williams? Because keep in mind, it's going to be four on two. Technically, it should be three on two because Rhea shouldn't be involved in this. But let's be honest, they keep including Rhea Ripley in the men's matches. And I'm fucking fed up with it because it keeps making the guys look like fucking pussies. So I should be excited for this, but I'm not. Because it just keeps proving that the draft is fucking meaningless. Which means there should only be one world champion, Roman Reigns. And on that note, we cut to the final segment of the evening with Braun Breaker. As we know, Braun Breaker was coming out to address what happened in Shawn Michaels' office. Breaker says a couple weeks ago he competed in the most watched NXT match in history. All because he challenged Seth Rollins. No one believed he had a shot until he speared Rollins in the middle of the ring. And he heard the energy in the arena drop. Rollins went on to win, but Breaker couldn't help but remind us that he was seconds away from becoming the WWE World Heavyweight Champion. He's had fewer matches in his career than Rollins has had premium live event main event matches. Apparently Breaker's only had 78 matches in his whole career. Many people are asking what's next for the most intense man in NXT. Ilya Dragunov interrupts. Dragunov says he's what's next for Breaker. The only person between Dragunov and the NXT Championship is Breaker. Breaker is standing in the ring with the most dangerous man in NXT. Dragunov surprises Breaker with a leaping knee to the face. Breaker and Dragunov brawl. The locker room empties to try and separate them. This was a great segment, and Braun Breaker's right. He's only had 78 matches in his whole career, and all of them, except for maybe one, have been in NXT. Because he claims he's never done the indies, which to an extent, he hasn't. He's had one match on the indies, because his debut was on October 8th, 2020, in Ringgold, Georgia, at the Wrestle Jam 8 event, promoted by AFW slash WOW, which is run by the Nature Boy... Paul Lee. Uh, Buff and I have attended a few of those shows in the past. Both of us are great friends with Paul Lee and his family. And he wrestled this guy, Jamie Hall. So that was his first match. And that was October 2020. February 2021 was when he got his developmental deal with WWE. And then in September 2021, he finally had the debut match that he talked about where he defeated L.A. Knight. Now, while he was in developmental, he also portrayed a zombie at WrestleMania Backlash during the match between Damian Priest and The Miz that we all agreed was a fucking shit show. And he was also a security guard who was attacked by Samoa Joe on the August 2021 episode of NXT. So all of Braun Breaker's matches, except for that one with Jamie Hall, have been in NXT. He's had one indie match. One. Which I'll tell you right now, if he wants to be a heel, that was the perfect way to get heat because no one pisses off the fans more than somebody who didn't spend over a decade wrestling on the indies for a hot dog and a handshake. But I'll use a line that John Cena said to AJ Styles. Braun Breaker's not built for the indie scene. 
And I also enjoy the fact that he's going to feud with Ilya Dragunov. And I have a feeling this is going to happen, like I said many times before on this show. This is a match that's going to happen at the Great American Bash. And it should be. But here's the question. After this match is over, again, where does Braun Breaker go from here? Does he finally go up to the main roster? Or is he going to continue to flounder in NXT and just fight random matches? Because there's nothing left for Braun to do. So ultimately, if Braun Breaker is finally going to leave NXT, then Dragunov should go over on Braun Breaker at the Great American Bash and then call him up. But if Braun Breaker is going to stick around in NXT for a little while longer, he shouldn't. But if that's the direction they want to go, then Braun Breaker needs to win a Great American Bash to continue the program, assuming they want to continue the program. But if this is a one-and-done and Braun's going to the main roster, give it to Dragunov, because he's going to stick around, and then have Braun Breaker finally go to the main roster and do some damage up there. Because right now, Raw, SmackDown, that's where he belongs. There's nothing left for Braun to do in NXT. Nothing. He's done it all. There are no more worlds left for him to conquer in NXT. All right. And that, ladies and gentlemen, will wrap up this recap of NXT. I thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, make sure you guys follow the Boochcast. We are on Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcast, and iHeartRadio. Pick your favorite hosting site and follow us there, or be a super fan and follow us on all four hosting sites. Also, like us on Facebook. Go to facebook.com slash theboochcast. We have archived episodes of the show as well as great content. Make sure you check out the episode of the Male Soap Opera Moment that dropped over the weekend. Uh, see our predictions for Money in the Bank. Find out who was right and who was wrong. And be on the lookout for the recap of Money in the Bank coming soon. Now, due to some scheduling conflicts, there's a good chance that next week is when we'll be taping it. So it might be a week or two before you guys actually see the recap of Money in the Bank on the Facebook page. I know I ranted a little bit about it earlier, but you'll be able to hear my full rants and my full thoughts on Money in the Bank on the next episode of the Male Soap Opera Moment. So if you're not there already, like us on Facebook so you can see when that episode will be posted. Also, make sure you follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the Boochcast. Get the latest tweets, photos, and videos. Visit our YouTube channel. Check out all of our YouTube content. And be sure to hit the subscribe button and ring that bell to be notified when future content will be posted. Last week, uh, Y2K Paranoia Will Destroy It came out. So you can go check that out right now. And depending on what time I get this episode out, uh, the final episode of Dark Side of the 90s, The Morning Show Wars, will either be com- will either be coming out or it will already be out because it's dropping at 2 p.m. on the YouTube channel today. So depending on what time this comes out, whether it comes out before 2 p.m. or after 2 p.m., the Morning Show Wars will be up there on the Boochcast YouTube channel. So make sure you're on the YouTube channel. Check out all those videos and also be on the lookout for videos coming soon. We got some content creation stuff going on in the works for the YouTube channel. So make sure you guys are subscribed so you can check out all the content that's there and be the first to find out when the new content drops. And of course, you can follow us on Twitch. Go to twitch.tv slash theboochcast. That's where we do our live wrestling watch parties. Our next watch party will be Saturday, August the 5th for WWE SummerSlam. Make sure you join us for the biggest party of the summer. We actually have our live D&D show coming soon, our Boochcast booking battle, and another special project in the works. And, of course, you can support the Boochcast by going to podcasters.spotify.com slash pod slash show slash the Boochcast slash support. Become a supporter of the Boochcast. Support this podcast with a small monthly donation to help sustain future episodes. We have three levels you can donate at. Pick the one that works the best within your budget. We have our first level, which is $0.99, cents, $1 per month. We have our second level, which is $4.99, $5 per month. Same amount of money you would pay for a Peacock subscription. I know a lot of you guys out there aren't really fans of the Peacock. So don't give them money. Give us money. We get better content than Peacock anyway. And we got the third and final level you can donate at, which is for a mere $9.99, $10 per month. The same amount of money we used to pay for a WWE Network subscription here in the United States. Ever since they sold the Peacock, I got nowhere to put that $9.99. $10.99, bring it over here. We got better content than Network and unlike Endeavor. We actually care about our fans and are dedicated to giving the people what they want. You have the option to pay with your credit card or with 
GPay. And the best part is, all the money we raise goes back into the show in some capacity. We used to upgrade our equipment, we used to bring in bigger name guests, pay the bills, and take care of all the guys who work very hard on the air and off the air to make the Boochcast a success. So if you got a favorite co-host and believes they're to be paid for their hard work, podcasters.spotify.com slash pod slash show slash the Boochcast slash support is how you make that happen. And then if there's any money left over, when that's all said and done, we use the rest to feed Zachariah Scott his ramen noodles and try to get him laid. And until next time, this is Vinny Bucci, a.k.a. The Booch, saying keep on living life and take care. This has been The Booch Cast. We'll talk to you guys next time. Until then, pizza, baby! Well, I see by the clock on a wall that it's time to bid you one and all goodbye. Goodbye. So long. So long. Farewell. Farewell. Adieu. Adieu. Be good. Stay well. Bye-bye. Keep warm. Relax. Eddie. Take care. Stay loose. Adieu, mon vieux. À la prochaine. Goodbye till.